know I'm like super dazzled by you. So I'm going to be very open with that. You know, I can't get over how much you work. You're like, you're the hardest working. <laughs> you don't have to. But what, but what I really love about you is you understand and appreciate the art of conversation. And I foolishly think there is going to be a resurgence in conversation. And there has to be. Maybe it'll be the election year or whatever. But I'm loving live touring so much and doing 80 cities this year. So I'm glad you wow. brought up the work ethic. Wow. Because I will never be convinced that live touring can be replaced in any way. So yes. love Periscope. Yes. Love yes. you. Again, I get yes. the whole thing. Yes. But still, as you know, nothing can replace that experience no. of... Yeah. Someone said to me, you're a man, a microphone, and a mouth. And I said... <laughs> I'll take it yes. <laughs> because yeah. people still say things like that without, <laughs> without thinking. No, correct. <laughs> and you know, it came from a very high level person. And so yeah. I just went, that's right. Yeah. I'm a man, a microphone and a mouth. <laughs> and that's sort of a yeah. compliment because yeah. it means I don't need other people. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about how, how you started in comedy and who you saw. Take me to the first job, like you're on oh stage. What made you do job stand-up? Job has quotes around it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I um, because I was obsessed with Second City, I really was more interested in improv. And stand-up honestly never even occurred to me until I was well into the Groundlings. All those years that I knew I wanted to you know, be in comedy in some way, preferably on television. So when um, I, I hoodwinked my family into moving to Los Angeles through trickery and lies. Now, let me, let me defend myself. When you're an accident baby, you're allowed to lie sometimes because you've been told you're not supposed to be here for a long time. Yeah. So I think it buys you like maybe five significant lies. Okay. One of them is as follows. My mom and dad, I actually talked them into retiring a little bit early, which, by the way, is not the Griffin way, at least not for my mom and dad. And I hoodwinked them. I lied through my teeth. It was like the freaking Beverly Hillbillies. Of course, I'm grandma. So I convinced my dad to retire early. Um, I learned a great line from my mom because she still prefaces a lie with this line, and it's so dated, it's genius. I read in the paper. <laughs> and so, you know, like my mom will say great, great, great things like um, she lives in this gorgeous retirement village. And she has said to me with no irony, I read in the paper that if you don't get me out of this retirement village and get me into my own apartment where I can take care of myself. And by the way, she's 95. We're not doing wow, that. Right. That Al-Qaeda will come into this retirement village and I could be recruited. I read in the paper. Okay, so th that's what we're dealing with after a box of wine. So I, I am no better. And I said to my, my dad, and my Chicago accent was very strong at that time, Dad, I read in the paper that the golf courses in, in LA are way better than in Chicago, so you don't have to go to Columbus. And so that kind of hooked him in. Anyway, I convinced my mom, this is bad. I told her I read in the paper that if we moved out here to Hollywood for me to pursue my dream, she could be a hostess at the Polo Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> she would meet Lana Turner, and she would be able to talk to Lana Turner once and for all and solve the Johnny Stampinato murder. <laughs> yes. So I will just tell your listeners, you're going to have to Google that deeply. Yes. And so it was, but you, I'm just saying I had limited resources yes. and I just lied my way to Hollywood. And when we got here, the minute we drove, of course, because only fancy people flew, except me, 
all of them went, what a shithole. <laughs> and the, like for the next 20 years, I had to convince them that it was, no, no, this is better than like shoveling the snow, uh, living through the, you know, but it was just hilarious to me that like I hoodwinked them into coming here really for my dream. And they never wanted to really admit that they probably liked it too. But what was your dream at that time? Oh, I didn't tell you. My mom told me I could be on the Mary Tyler Moore show, which was canceled by then because we did not know reruns from existing shows. My mom said she read in the paper that the way you get on a show is there's a sign-up sheet. Yeah. And so when we moved to California, you can imagine my surprise when I found out that you can't sign up for a guest spot on a show. And hence it began. It was like, you know, then it was like just years of, you know, classes. And, you know, I mean, the bottom line is I lived here for 10 years before getting even a free student film gig. Right, but you tried everything. Everything. Yeah, that, people don't get everything. that. Everything. Yeah, you, tr- yeah, you have everything. to try everything. You... I, I mean, I mean, hopping um, the walls of every studio. Yeah. I actually watched them. Um, I had a whole system, by the way. One of them was I hopped the walls of Fox one time, and I got to watch them film MASH for half a day. And I learned if you really do sit quietly and don't bother anyone, you may go unnoticed. And I just was dazzled. I mean, think of that cast. Yeah. Alan Alda. Yeah. And I, 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 and I, I got to watch them film it and, you know, learn some terminology and then I got caught. And so I got, I kicked, got kicked off. And then I learned it, you could break in by walking in, by looking right in the guard's face. I would go to Goodwill and I would get like a blazer mm-hmm. and pants and what I thought was a professional outfit. I was also temping. So I had to have like a few clothes that looked professional and I would walk in and look right in the guard and be like, have a good day. And just keep walking. And I would, you know, I would wait to see if there was like another group walking in. So I would try to kind of tailgate. And I had my like fake briefcase and it worked like nine times out of 10. Then I um, signed up to become an extra. So I was an extra for two years. It was always about like, is there any angle that will get me information? And were you funny then? God, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say. I will say that I... I got a lot of good, like, encouragement. You know, I mean, it was... What you was had important? to be funny with your friends. Well, here's what's interesting is when I went to Strasbourg, I had amazing teachers. I had Sally Kirkland. And one of the greatest things about Sally was she would... My favorite part of Sally's classes is she would tell um, all these amazing stories about the Holly... Like, the famous stars she banged. But what I loved about Sally's classes is she was an amazing teacher, but... She's such a free spirit, if you've ever met her. She would just start the class with, well, when I slept with De Niro, when I slept with Al, (laughs) and then she would get these people to come speak. So after two years of um, like serious acting classes, (laughs) every single one of my teachers said, you should be in comedy. I mean, I'm going to just say they were insightful, and I ran to the groundlings as fast as I could. So it was obvious to people. You yeah. were funny. You were yeah, funny. I was funny. Your, and, and within yeah, the You were funny as a kid. You were funny all the way but through. But also, I mean, you can imagine. I mean, if I could take you and put you in a method class, 
you would not be able to resist being funny. Because, I mean, talk about a group of people that took themselves seriously. I mean, it's the unitards, and it's the person doing Tai Chi, and then there's a guy, like, there'd be a guy whacking off, because in Method, it's all about, like, secrecy, and I'm sure you know they've never let themselves be filmed, not unlike Scientology. So you would see, I mean, I'm from Illinois, you'd see the craziest things, but in the actual classes, it was nuts. So comedy dreamed come true. So yeah, once I finally said, drama not for me, comedy all the way, frankly, I had two years of like seeing some film giants. Who did you see? Did, was it Joan Rivers that you said, I want to be like that? No, it, it, was, it was Joan, but it was mostly the sidekicks. So my sidekick. thing was, I wanted to be Rhoda on Mary Tyler Moore. I wanted to be Ethel Mertz. I just always felt like, why would you ever want to be the lead in a TV show yeah. when the sidekick gets all the great lines? Yeah. And yes. so I really grew up with a love for the sidekicks. And then the stand-ups kind of um, joined that group in my consciousness. So, of course, at that time, you know, we've, as we've discussed many times, it's not like there were a thousand channels. So if you were watching a sitcom, chances are two seconds later, because there were three channels, you would absolutely see Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller or yes. Bob's Mayor yeah. Billy or Tody Fields hearing from my mother. There's a lady agent in Hollywood, and I read about it in Rona Barrett's Hollywood, and she's a lady. And she's powerful, but she's a lady and a girl. <laughs> and I just always, you know, never in my wildest dreams that I ever think I would meet Sue Manger. So it was just a big deal in our house. And my mom is for, you know, her Fox News loving bullshit. She's like, she's what I call a secret feminist. For some reason, my dad also was a secret feminist. And yeah. and I remember, like, I, it was really lucky that I grew up with my, you know, my mom and dad. And I was an accident baby. You know, I, I proudly am an accident baby. And was told constantly. Yes, that you, you were an accident. Yes, thank you for getting that. Because yeah. when I say that, I actually just wrote my first scripted pilot script. And I called it Accident Baby. And some people got nervous. And I grew up in a family where we thought that was funny. Yes. Like the yes. other four kids were planned. Yes. And my mom and dad would get drunk and be like, well, you weren't even supposed to be here. You're a goddamn accident. Yeah. And I hope you make a good living. Yeah. And I and I, I wrote up, you know, the show, the premise of the show is that when you know you're not supposed to be here, yeah. you do kind of work harder. Yes. You try to make a lot of money because yeah. you're the accident. You try to be on purpose. So I, I'm an, I was an accident. Baby. I would argue half the population is. But I sort of, I sort of have an affection for that term, accident baby. Yeah, and yeah, people I mean, find it offensive. But I'm like, no, it's just honest. Yeah, and and that there's a big gap between you and your brother and sister in terms of. Age. Yes, yes, we weren't yeah. supposed to yeah. be here, David. No, no. We're not supposed to be here. No, my sister very proudly tells everyone that, um, that she was you know, planned. Yeah, Duty is my nickname in Canada. So she <laughs> called me Duty. So you know, uh, Duty was an accident, I, and and she goes even farther. She said, you know, my mom was uh, on a bus going to uh, Emerson at that time was outside of Winnipeg and she got the bumpiest bus that she could be on to try to lose you yes well that's yeah. an option <laughs> I mean you know options were limited yeah. I'm totally pro your mom on this one totally yeah. taking her side and I turned out to be the son that got the most nuts in the family they all of course. yeah they had I mean, to wait it out and all that but my brother and sister were funny. Were your, anyone in your family? Yes, they are all hysterically funny. And what was so great and lucky about my family is, I mean, I could go down the line. They were funny in different ways. Like my father was comedian funny. And he was that guy where I could ask him, I felt like I could ask my dad 
any academic question in the world and he would know. And just kind of like with like a throwaway that my mom is unintentionally funny. And I love that dichotomy. So my dad could be funny on cue, but my mom to this day has no clue why she's funny. My brother Gary worked for the Attorney General of Illinois, and he was more of an intellectually funny guy, but more of like a one-liner guy. My brother John is kind of like a more conceptually funny guy. My sister Joyce is a character and has no clue why she's funny, Mm -hmm. but she like panics all the time. So when she comes over for no reason, she beeps her horn several times. Like she, when she leaves, she goes like beep, 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 and she doesn't know the whole neighborhood thinks like there's an accident or something. <laughs> so I love it. They're all funny in different ways, and some of them have no clue why. Uh, let me ask you this: how how did the connection with the gay audience happen? Organically, a from, I mean, from grade school. I mean, honestly, in first grade, um, I must say the nuns. Although I've turned on the church completely. I have a very inappropriate joke about the church, which is those dykes tried. I mean, they really, they really tried. Those dykes tried to beat it into me. And the kid fuckers were in the other room, busy with the boys. And by the way, that's why my mother hates me. All right, but anyway, um, you know, I mean, in first grade, one of, one of the non-teachers did something very smart, which is she purposely grouped the four desks together, not unlike the film The Breakfast Club. I think she intentionally did these groupings of like um, the pretty girl with the nerd and whatever. And I remember there was, I mean, I just, you know, when gay people go, I knew when I was five, so did I. And so I honestly, like seriously, like since first grade, I just found the gay boy and he found me. And it was just one of those things where my whole life, the gay kid and I, we just always found each other. So then when I started doing stand-up, it was like a no-brainer that if there was an open mic in a gay club, I, I was there. And the funny thing was, I, not only would I do every open mic, I really had a fear of comedy clubs. In fact, the Gay and Lesbian Center of LA it has a 200-seat theater that is still one of the greatest theaters I've ever played in. But I think the reason the LGBTQIA2345 Caitlin, um, I want to get them all straight. Right, I want to get them all, didn't mean to say straight. No, but I think the reason that the gay audience and I have always gotten along is I think that you can admit I sort of fit the mold. Like the outrageous redhead who will say anything. And as an audience, the LGBT community, I appreciate them because I I call them the unshockable gays. Like they're, you know, if you're a, a, a gay person, a questioning, whatever, and you have grown up in Forest Park, Illinois, or anywhere, there's nothing I can say that can shock you. So I think the relationship truly is organic. Yeah, and you and you liberated an audience by doing that because they didn't. Oh my have, goodness! Thank well, you. No, gay people didn't have anyone representing them so openly. In a, well, in a that's show. that's what I I feel. Not to get like too artsy fartsy, but that's what I do feel is like our job. And I mm-hmm. feel that um, we do have a serious job. And one of our serious jobs is a to be inappropriate, b to really shine a light on things that other artists don't want to, and C, to create a safe environment for whatever the group is that you feel responds to you. I actually prefer to tour alone only because I you know, do such a specific storytelling style that when I used to do the clubs, you know, and as you know, I don't know if you've ever, ever done a gig where you don't know the opener, but I can tell you back in the day, if I had an opener, 
that was like one of those guy crushers that was talking about, and my wife talks like this, me, 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 me. Fellas, don't you want to kill her sometimes? If only we're legal. Ladies and gentlemen, Kathy Griffin. You know, like that, like I had, you know, I had a few years of that, and then I would go out there, and the audience would be like, yeah! Because in clubs, it's not yeah. like they're coming to see me. They're yeah. coming to see whomever. Yeah. And then I, I've been touring alone for a very, very long time because I feel it's so important to like set the tone. Are you performing at Mark Taper this month? I am in heaven. Okay, so not only am I doing 80 cities, my assistant came up with a genius idea. He said, you know, you have 23 specials. You've been touring forever. You've done every venue from, you know, the Madison Square Garden, although I should say the theater inside Madison Square Garden because my pal Amy Schumer is doing the garden, (laughs) which I did. I did the theater inside the garden, which is 6,000. Not bad. Just... For shits and giggles, I just texted Amy Schumer and Lena Dunham. And I just was like, the great David Steinberg is coming to my house. And they were both like, awesome. Oh, my God, love him. So just know. That's so sweet. The hottest ladies of comedy love you. Sounds sweet. Thank you for that. What is that when, when a celebrity feels the need to reach out to another celebrity when there's a celebrity coming. Have you ever done that? What do you mean? I, I, if I know them or, or don't know them, I'll yeah, introduce like, myself. Like yeah. one time, one time I was with, this is such an old story. You're going to laugh. But one time I was with George Clooney and be, we were together for two seconds and we just panicked and went, let's text Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> and we did like, and I, it's cause I don't really know George Clooney that well, but like, I, I, I don't know. There was something about you're coming over yeah. and I just felt like compelled to be like, I should reach out to comedy women. David's coming over and, and they love him. And, yeah. and so um, I uh, have done all these beautiful venues as you have, you know, the difference. But I have to say doing 80 cities is amazing because I'm doing four nights at the iconic Mark Taper Forum. Always wanted to play the taper because it's 750 seats. It's like performing in my living room. And a week later, I'm playing Carnegie. And the night after playing Carnegie, I'm playing the um, Horseshoe Casino in Elizabeth, Indiana, (laughs) which pays more than Carnegie, you snobby fuckers. And the next night, I got a double in Clinton Township, Michigan. It's incredible. No, I can't remember. Did I ever ask you, did you ever tour with Joan Rivers or open for her or anything like that? No, Joan Rivers was in Second City a group before me. Okay. I was a sort of student at large at the University of Chicago. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. (laughs) Fancy. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I made up my own curriculum. Wait, you went to U of Chicago? Yeah, but I. And you're a comic? Yeah, well, actually, Did your parents get their money back? <laughs> I mean, you should be, you're supposed to be like Dr. Ben Carson running for president. You should be a neurosurgeon. But all right, so you went to so, Chicago? So, yeah, so I was, I, and I was in the theater get, trying to get into the theater. I had never really acted before. I didn't really know what I was going to do. Yeah. And the head of the theater, a guy named Robert Benedetti, sort of a well-known theater guy, mm-hmm. said, you've got to come and watch this group that's coming here today. And it was Second City, and Joe Rivers was in that company. Oh, my God. It was Joe Rivers and Ridiculous. Andy Duncan and Anthony Hall and a group. And Joan, first of all, she was very attractive. A gorgeous blonde. Gorgeous blonde. And I thought, she's really sexy. And then she was funny on top of it. And she would say, especially for a comic. Because yes. Joan would always say, like, there's there's pretty and then there's comedian pretty. Yes, yeah. So, but she was, yeah. Yeah, and she so was, yeah, so she was remarkable. I saw her there. I followed them like you followed the circus, and I got in there a year later. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Second City as well, because I'm yeah. from uh, Forest Park, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Second City was, you know, a temple to us. 
and you know it was just it was just the big thing and so that's how i got involved in the groundlings in los angeles because i moved to los angeles when i was actually 18. Mm -hmm. so if i had stayed in chicago i would have just done whatever it took to get into second city i just thought it was the greatest place and yeah. still is yeah it's, still it, is. yeah when i got into it i was intimidated for a minute <laughs> and then did you I, feel like you had to up your game i i feel even as i look back at my whole career now that the thing I was most suited for was Second City. Really? Yeah. I had information. I could get it Improvise. fast. Yeah. But everyone else, Robert Klein was in my company and Fred Willard. Oh my gosh. And they, now that we're all friends, they say how wonderful I was. But really, I was very difficult to work with. Yeah. I hear. Yeah. yeah. What is that? What is that? <laughs> Why? Because you were Sanabi, you were at US Chicago? You're like, no, um, no. I went to University of Chicago. Where'd you guys go? Junior college in uh, Hillsdale? No, it wasn't that. It's that I was better than everybody. Of course. Well, that is a given. <laughs> Not true. No, okay. I, so you can't you... be better than Robert Clyde and Fred Willard in that company. They, they were spectacular. It was a that sounds like a dream. I'm sure you, you have toured alone in your yes. career. Yes, a How, lot. Did you not like it? Opening for musicians. I opened for John Denver, and I I was a I'm a surprise athlete, so I played basketball with the waiters all the time in the mm -hmm. club. And John, I was opening for John, and John wanted to play, so he came and played, and I threw him a pass, and it broke his finger. And he plays guitar. And he plays guitar, okay. and he was opening. And by the that way, night. you're not an athlete. I don't know. <laughs> I just have to take a minute. I know this isn't visual, but you look like you weigh about ninety pounds wet. And I love that you think you're a basketball player. I am a legendary athlete. I played in a game with Paul Westfall and Maurice Lucas, and Dave DeBusher was. They calling humored the... you. They... What are you talking about? Yeah, and I'm in the ballet. I Dave, mean, yeah. honestly. All right, so you injured John Denver. Yes, and with and, impunity. Yeah, and then. And how did he do a show? He he managed, but he he couldn't play the guitar very well. Like, did he have to wear like the silver cast for six months or no, what? No, but I could play the guitar, so I used my. Well, you can do everything. <laughs> Woo! You're, like, you're going to join the Lakers, and I play guitar, and Miles Davis can suck my dick. I'm David oh. Steiger. This is a side of you that I don't think anyone knows. I stop at the dick stop, please. <laughs> Sorry, but very I clean. take credit for everything else. Is accurate. Of course, it's naturally. Accurate. I had a very touching tour uh, it was almost two years now a year and a half and that is my Robin and myself mm -hmm. we toured with Robin Williams for mm -hmm. 40 cities oh, yeah. and for months yeah so it's it's something that we cherish for obvious reasons yeah. but he was the most adorable delightful person to be with to be with on stage to be with afterwards we never walked off stage ever yeah where he didn't have his arm around me and saying, I'm so proud to be with you. Oh, yeah. And he was just the... Uh, Tell me about so, his process, because I knew him socially a little, but what is his... I mean, they always say, like, the thing about Robin is, you know, you couldn't even conceive how his mind worked, and it was yeah. so faster than lightning. So did he have, like, a, you know, process like we have, like, I eat at this time? The, the process that's similar to him and me and you is you need information. Mm -hmm. and, and how you digest the information is what makes you an interesting comedian. So he read everything. Mm -hmm. And the way in which that tour started was 
he had had a heart attack, yeah. and he went to the Cleveland Clinic, mm-hmm. which every Jew knows is... <laughs> <laughs> is it got, the hub of Jews with heart problems? Every, every Jew has the private number. Are there the any side businesses <laughs> or deals that are done on the side? Uh, I, I hear you no, people own the banks. No question. All right, fine. Yeah, no question. So, so he, had, he had been saved by a doctor in the Cleveland mm-hmm. Clinic. He was performing in Miami. They rushed him to the Cleveland Clinic. They healed him, and it was great. And... Four months after that, he said, David, you know, I I don't have an act yet, mm-hmm. but I want to do a benefit for the Cleveland Clinic. They saved my life. Would you come on stage with me? Mm-hmm. And it'll be the two of us and lead me through it, and I'll hit back to you. So that's how this whole thing started, including Inside Comedy wow. and everything. It was the two of us. Was I it just, chairs? Or was it, Were you standing and riffing? Was it, was it... Just, it was just chairs. But, yeah. But we were, it's it's a, a performance that we, you give it your all because, oh, yeah. because they're all doctors there. We need right. them. Right. We don't need them just laughing. We mm-hmm. need them to be in the room with us. Right. And he was, uh, he was special. And then we went on tour after that for almost a year. That sounds like a dream. Okay, so I, I can't get over what you've carved out for yourself. It's really, it's um, You know. What are you talking about? You do know that I, I woke up today, as I do every day, convinced I'm going to lose everything and live in my car and eat dog food. Course, yes. You that, know that. That's invaluable for Even Canadian. though the house is paid off, yes. the car is paid yeah. off, I, I'm, I'm doing 80 cities. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that is I'm going to be penniless tomorrow. That is amazing. Okay. So much work. And I'm completely convinced everyone else has it all figured out. Everyone is doing it better than I am. I'm bitter and hate everyone else who has a job or the job I wanted. Yeah, I am I am my mother's daughter. I can't I couldn't shake any of it. I've got all the Catholic guilt, I've got all the issues, nothing's changed. You are so much more than but just your mother's daughter. But look for me at the Mark daughter. Taper, Carnegie Hall, and Parkersburg, West Virginia. <laughs> you will be there. I'll be there. And everyone will be there, and people will go crazy for you. Oh. I'm nuts about you. Good. I'm nuts about you. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure, okay. of course. Keep your expectations under control.